Hey everyone, my name's Jen. I'm a licensed minister, a certified trauma-informed coach, and your host. Today we're here to save the pain. Say the Pain, a podcast brought to you by New Course Coaching, a trauma-informed coaching company focused on trauma recovery. Not only are we back, but we are back with Diana Roberts. And so in looking and how to introduce Diana, since I already gave you the lowdown of where she was from in her first part, which I apologize, apparently there was a lot of confusion. I did not mean that she would be sequentially in two parts, but she is a (laughs) two-time guest. So she's back. And so she just asked that her introduction be as a corgi enthusiast. Yes. (laughs) She does not currently own one, but she is an enthusiast of corgis. (laughs) But here's what I also do want to say. She is a photographer and has her own photography business. And she is actually the one who did the photography for new course coaching on the website. So if you're curious about any sort of photography needs and you are in the Iowa area, Diana Giselle Photography. Yes. So anyhow, Diana, welcome back. Thank you. And uh, all of those that are listening, you can probably hear, we're not quite as echoey. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Poor Diana got like just the brunt. And the last time we met, like you, (laughs) Diana works third shift, everybody. So like her meeting me is such a sacrifice. So I appreciate that. (laughs) But like you had like just gone out to a youth rally and you came back and you actually weren't feeling good the last time. (laughs) Yeah, I was sick. (laughs) So anyhow... If you listen to episode number two, Diana's first one, just know that Diana is a trooper and she's back <laughs> for more. I'm back. <laughs> and what's fun is we're not totally picking up exactly where we left off, but a lot of uh, Diana's story just kind of continues. And so I didn't want to cut her off that one portion. Um, so Diana, why don't you kind of pick up where you'd like to introduce your second part to this sure well I guess in my last podcast I did with you we ended kind of around my 16 17 age um where we talked about how I had just gone through all this sexual assault sexual abuse within my family and going through court and then just like the care I received afterwards and all of that um so just kind of like picking off there I had just um found out that I had vaginitis Um, due to all of the sexual abuse that I had as a child. And vaginitis is just any sort of pain um, within your private area where if you are not aroused, it is just extremely painful for anything to like touch anything surrounding, um, which made appointments very hard. (laughs) 
at the uh, at the doctor, but around this time, I also got diagnosed with endometriosis in a way, sort of, kind of. It was kind of weird. <laughs> um, I was only 16, 17, just trying to like find my way around all this medical stuff. I had just recently come off of my depression medication, and then like I had been told that I had vaginitis because of this, and I was kind of like struggling with the idea of that because of all this that my family members had done to me, I now have this end result. And then, of course, going back um, like the following year and being told by a doctor that um, because of my symptoms, and I guess I could tell you what they are, and hopefully it's not too gory or gross, <laughs> but I guess we're here. That's what we're here for, right? So, <laughs> um, so basically went to the doctor around age 17 because my periods were not normal. They've always been extremely heavy and Due to sexual assault, actually, I did start my period at a very early age, which is very common. Um, so I got my period when I was 10, made, made more like nine and a half. I was not in fifth grade yet, so I was quite young. And just like my whole adolescent life, it was very heavy and um, I'd feel very faint and just absolutely terrible when I would get my periods. And so Around 17, I actually noticed that my period was not coming fully vaginally, um, which sounds kind of strange to think about. So it was coming out of where one piece, so out of my urethra, I was bleeding my menstrual cycle, and then also from my behind, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, I freaked out. I thought I had cancer or was going to die or my body was just officially failing me <laughs> because of all that had happened in my life. So I went to the doctor um, and I mentioned to her, like, this is what's happening with my periods. It's been very consistent. I've tested things out and I'm like really concerned. And basically the doctor came back and told me it sounds very consistent with endometriosis symptoms. Um, no tests were done and like no surgeries were done. Like I wasn't told like, this is the next step for what we got to do with endometriosis or like, this is a medication you can try. Or like, I was basically just told like, Hey, this is endometriosis. You got endometriosis. It seemed to just got worse and worse to the point where I did not have a period vaginally at all. Um, and normally when doctors see that, that means that you are not functioning the right way down there in your system and that potentially that there's harm within your ovaries, your tubes, your entire system. So her automatic response was to tell me like, hey, because of this endometriosis, because of how severe your case is, not doing any tests or surgeries, you know, because that's not very essential, right? <laughs> um, she came back and told me, you are going to have a very hard time having children, or it is a possibility that you will never have children ever in your entire lifetime. And so being told this at 17, after experiencing all of this traumatic stuff as a child, um, getting over all these hurdles and like feeling I'm at a place where I'm like starting to get better and I have this great outlook in life and I'm like starting to find myself as a teenager, um, all of a sudden I get this news where like a lot of women growing up, not all, but like a lot of women growing up, they have this dream of like becoming a mom, like, you know, you get married and you know, gonna have children you're gonna live this like picture perfect life and all of a sudden like all of that just like went out the window so it was a very difficult time um in my life to find out that this doctor was telling me and i mean 
as a teenager, you don't think about like, oh, hey, like I got to I got to go get like a second opinion or like, why didn't she do any tests? And I never talked to my parents about it. I was kind of ashamed <laughs> to talk about it. Like something felt like a, something in me felt like I was wrong um, or that I was like systematically wrong. Mm-hmm. Like my parts were not working the way they should. And I felt kind of ashamed about that. So I never did talk to my parents about it and never mentioned it to my mom, which is crazy because my mom actually has endometriosis and PCOS and I just didn't feel comfortable going to them. So I never ever mentioned it, never got a second opinion, never looked into what is endometriosis and how do you officially diagnose endometriosis? Like, how do you treat endometriosis? Is this true? So I, I just had this idea at 17 that I would never be able to have children. So what was her explanation to you of what endometriosis was? Uh, so she said endometriosis is where there, so your cycle, you have tissue that comes out, right? So this tissue ends up seeping out of your uterus and it starts attaching itself to other places. Um, It can be your bladder, it can be um, your stomach. Uh, Severe cases end up having this tissue grow on the lungs. Um, I mean, it can lead up to endometrial cancer is what I was told. So there's like stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, stage five, which I think is cancer. she didn't fully explain it to me. So I really didn't have this like idea of what endometriosis was. I just thought like, oh, my period is just weird. And that's why I have endometriosis. She gave me like that brief description, like my, my uh, tissues just growing outside of where it should be in my uterus and therefore causing me to bleed through these other areas. So it's not necessarily like a period that's coming out through your bladder or through your um, bottom, but like it's the tissue causing that reaction um, of it just seeping out and it's coming out through where it can since it's not supposed to be there. And once you get this tissue out of your uterus, it tends to like, it's almost like a cancer. It just spreads and it just spreads and spreads and spreads. And so eventually people with endometriosis need to have surgeries, um, laparoscopic surgeries to get these tissues removed um, from their bodies and they tend to come back. So over time, people with endometriosis just need surgeries to carve out that tissue for the person's womb to be back to normal and everything to kind of go back to where it should be. So I didn't actually get a full explanation. So I still at 17 was kind of lost as to what it was and just confused about my entire situation. Being diagnosed at 17 with endometriosis with, I guess I would say a partial diagnosis. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know. Diagnosis and air quotes. If you're not going to run a test. Yeah. Or I don't know. I guess I'm just stunned, yeah. but, um, so you, you go with this diagnosis because that's what you understand right? at 17, mm-hmm. you are assuming that the doctor is telling you correct information, right? Cause what doctor tells you wrong information <laughs> or lies to you, you know, and anybody that's listening, I really appreciate the medical field. I really do. And I really appreciate good doctors. There's just a lot of stories of how not Every person in the medical field is at the same, I'll call it maturity level. Yeah. (laughs) We'll call it maturity level. And so I just uh, celebrate a lot those people that have a very high maturity level in the medical field. Yeah. It's such a wide spectrum because you don't always get the same answer from every doctor, which is crazy. So yeah. And so second opinions are a real thing. Yes. (laughs) But at 17, like you said, that wasn't 
a thought yeah. in your mind. Yeah, I didn't think I would need <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even a thought. Yeah. So I just had this assumption. Um, I have vagin- vaginitis, I have endometriosis, and I'm never going to have children. Um, and it sucked because at that time in my life, I was like trying to figure out dating. I was trying to figure out like relationships because I was keeping myself from that to like guard myself from everything that had happened before. I didn't want that to happen again um, with like sexual abuse and all of that. So I was trying to figure this all out. All my friends were dating. People around me were exploring relationships. And so I wanted that as well. And so it just kind of like embedded in my mind, like, how am I going to explain this to someone? Like, if they also want to have children, like, hey, listen, that's like, probably most likely not gonna, not going to happen with me. Like, we may have to end up um, adopting or like, we may never have children. And is that okay with you? So it was it was really hard just like having to think through all that at 17. Because I mean, you don't normally think about that stuff when you're that age. It's not like your first thought in the morning, like, man, I'm not having children. (laughs) Like what? Like, it's not something you think about. So it was really rough. And so moving on from there, you did enter the dating world at like what age? I I was 18. So my first boyfriend was actually my, is actually my husband. So (laughs) I picked the right one. Way to go. Way to go. So, um, yeah. So I started dating as I was like 18 and a half-ish when I met my husband, Kyle, and we started dating. We were we were pretty open with each other. I felt very comfortable with him. He went to the same church as me, still goes to the same church <laughs> as me because we both still are at the same church. He never made me feel less than when I would say things. And I made up in my mind that whoever I dated, I was going to tell just straight up. Like, listen, I experienced sexual abuse and rape as a child and I just want to let you know like going forward like I don't know it may be an issue or like are you okay with that I mean not that it should be an issue or anything I mean but you never know like people react so strangely when they hear about trauma and like oh like how am I going to deal with this person now like you kind of sort of feel like you're I don't know, like a problem or a responsibility at that point. And then people feel like they need to fix you. <laughs> yes. And so I I just told myself like straight, straight up, I'm going to tell Kyle as soon as I can, once we're comfortable in our relationship and I feel like this is going to move forward. I went ahead and told him, I was like, you know what? This is what happened as a, in my childhood. This is what happened in my adolescent life. And like, I just recently found out this other part of my life now. And I want to tell you this. And like, he was always so open. He was always very receptive. He was very accepting and he was very loving. And so it just made me more comfortable in knowing that, that he was in a sense, not, not necessarily knew how everything was going to work out, but knew that since I was so open with him, that we would, we would be fine, that we would be okay in the future if we were to like move forward. And so, I mean, eventually we did, (laughs) obviously we got engaged um, we got married in December of 2019, and we were hoping to live a childless life <laughs> for a good minute, you know, just get to know each other, go travel and stuff. And Because you were how old when you got married? I was 21. I was pretty young. I would consider that young. <laughs> Some people get married at 18. Props to you, man. <laughs> but like, <laughs> um, yeah, my parents got married in their late 20s. And so <laughs> it was just, it felt really young to me, but I, I, I loved Kyle. And like, once I met him, I, I just knew I didn't want to explore any other person. I just wanted to get to know this one person and he's my best friend. So <laughs> he's, he's truly the best. And so 
yeah, I got married at 21. He was 22. He had just graduated uh, college. So we were like fresh into the adult world, um, trying to find jobs and all that. And we decided to get married and spend all this money on stuff that people probably don't remember anymore. <laughs> yeah, wedding costs. That'll have yeah. to be another Save the Pain yeah. episode. <laughs> That'd be a great one. <laughs> so, um, you know, after we got ourselves into debt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you know, we decided we were going to wait to have children. And I, of course... I'm terrible at taking birth control. So our plan completely changed all of a sudden. It was not planned at all. (laughs) Um, And we ended up finding out that we were pregnant about a couple months into our marriage, which was in itself a little hard as well because we weren't expecting it. We were hoping to have some time alone before we started figuring out the world of parenting and like how to raise another human being when we were just barely starting off on our own as adults as well. But you didn't think you could get pregnant. Yeah. So I didn't think I could get pregnant. And so, I mean, I wasn't too concerned, (laughs) which is crazy to think about. Like I, I was not concerned that it was going to be an issue at that point in my life. I was thinking like, you know, when we get to that point in our life, then we can start worrying about it. And then all of a sudden I was pregnant. So we were like, Oh, we were, we were very shocked. We really were. So we, we both went to the doctor. He went with me and I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to have the confirmation. So, you know, they did a blood test and they were like, yeah, you're pregnant. And I was like, really? <laughs> and so then it wasn't like long after that, that I had a physical with my um, primary physician. And I mentioned that to her and I was like, so I'm pregnant. And she looked at me. She, I remember she was like typing something up, but she looked at me. She goes, you're what? And I said, I'm pregnant. We both, she was like staring at me in disbelief and I was like, what, what, what's going on here? Like I, I instantly lost trust in my primary care physician. I, I was in belief that I couldn't have children. And all of a sudden I had a child in my womb and here I was telling this primary physician of mine that I was pregnant and she was also in shock. And I was like, why are we both in shock right now? I feel like this is not something that's supposed to happen. And like, no words came out of her mouth. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah, really? I wouldn't lie about something like that. And she goes, well, that's interesting. And that was it. <laughs> I was the end of that conversation. And then um, I went on to have my regular OB appointments. But I just thought it was so strange that, like, she didn't say, like, oh, well, that's so weird because you have endometriosis. Like, nothing about endometriosis was ever mentioned again. Like, nothing about, like, oh, like, I may have been wrong. Like, no explanation on her end was given. So I was just, (laughs) I was confused. Kyle was confused. (laughs) I'm sitting here quietly because actually that whole thing just confuses me. (laughs) And it was just the most awkward conversation. But anyways, I was pregnant. (laughs) You were pregnant. I was pregnant. Yeah. There was no denying that you were pregnant. No denying that I was pregnant. And so, I mean, we were, we were on board. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the minute we had that appointment and we were told that it's official, you're pregnant. Um, we just had that mindset. Okay, we're having a kid. We're having a child. Um, in the next couple of months, we started getting excited. We started, you know, all those emotions you get as a first-time parent that is expecting a child that they were hoping to have. I just never thought that I would have a child. So I, I was like over the moon. I was so excited that my dream of becoming a mom was going to happen, despite what my doctor had told me. And I just kind of pushed it away. I was like, you know what? Forget that. I, I'm entering this new stage in my life and I, I'm going to enter it excited and hopeful and just 
have a great time. So um, my husband and I found out that I was pregnant. It was, I want to say it was late July, early August when we found out. And I was already a couple weeks pregnant. And then unfortunately, I mean, the pregnancy was going well. Everything was looking fine. Healthy as can be, first trimester, nothing wrong. This OB had no concerns about baby. Second trimester came, no concerns about baby. Everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, I was at work and I just had like this immense back pain. And I remember going to our charge nurse, our lead nurse. I work at a hospital um, in case you missed that first episode, but <laughs> um, I went up to early nurse and I was like, Hey, listen, like I'm having a lot of back pain. I was wondering if I could like sit down and like, just kind of wait and see what happens. And she's like, yeah. So we switched spots with someone where I could sit down for the rest of my shift. And I remember the pain just kept getting worse and worse until it wasn't bad. I remember going to the bathroom that night at work and I looked down and I had considerably a lot more discharge than normal. So I was starting to get concerned and I mentioned it to the nurses and then the nurses were like, you know what, why don't you call down to OB and ask them? So, you know, I got on the phone, I called OB and I was like, hey, listen, like, this is what's happening. I had a lot of back pain. Um, All of a sudden the back pain is gone and now I'm having like considerably more discharge. Like, what do you think I should do? And And they said, well, like, what color is the discharge? You know, they started asking me all these questions and they were like, well... If it gets to be a lot more discharged than now, and if you get to having more pain throughout the night, then we would say, you know, definitely go into the ER. Otherwise, I think you might be fine to just wait and see your doctor in the morning. Um, And so, I mean, it didn't cross my mind that anything bad was going to happen. So I was like, oh, I'll just wait until morning, you know, just kind of like pushing that thought aside and saying like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, everything's fine. Like, you don't want to believe something's wrong. It's your first pregnancy. Sure. Uh, everything's supposed to go fine. Nobody warns you like, hey, this is what could happen. This is what could happen. Other than like when they tell you, you know, if you have like extreme pain, if you have a lot of bleeding, if you have a lot of cramping, like then come into the ER. And I was like, well, it's just discharge. I'm not like super concerned. The pain went away. So I waited until morning. No pain came back. I was still having the discharge and I called in to my clinic and I spoke to the OB's nurse. And I remember saying like, hey, these are my symptoms. I was wondering if I could have an appointment. And the first thing the nurse said to me was like, okay, well, those sound like normal symptoms. I think it's just regular pregnancy discharge. It doesn't sound like it's anything else. Um, So you should be okay to wait. Um, We'll go ahead and set an appointment up just so you can be reassured. And I remember hearing those words and then thinking about it later on and thinking about how upset that should have made me in that moment because just so you can be reassured. Yeah. Just so I can be reassured. Like why, why wasn't my concern about my body taken a bit more seriously in that moment? You know, as a first time mom, like why weren't there more steps taken in that moment? And I didn't realize it until later. And I, I was very upset about it. So I'm upset for you. I, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I can go back to that here in a minute, but anyways, I went to the doctor later that afternoon The pain started around two in the morning and then I didn't go see the doctor until 1 p.m. So it was like a considerable amount of time from when it had started to when it actually came to seeing the doctor. So they took me in, explained to the doctor and immediately the doctor's face was like, you said a lot of discharge with pain that went away. And I was like, yeah. And she was so concerned and my heart just like sunk. And I was like, should I have come in earlier? Should I have gone to the ER? She goes, well, let me take a look. And I just started panicking from that moment. Like, why did her face drop? Why didn't the nurse, you know, 
talk to the doctor beforehand and say like this is what happened instead of like pushing the appointment for later why couldn't I go earlier um doubt started to fill my mind fear started to fill my mind and you know the doctor started checking things out and she did see that the sac that the baby was in was starting to like push through and it was leaking fluid um which I later learned they end up calling it incompetent cervix um my cervix apparently is very short and therefore the sac tends to just push on it and that pressure with my cervix being so short it ends up just wanting to put me into labor a lot earlier than it should mm-hmm. and so I didn't realize it but <laughs> in that moment um that I started feeling that pain my labor had started so I was I want to say 20 weeks a couple days and this was December 2nd of 2020. So December 2020 is when I went to go see the doctor and she immediately looked at me and she said, okay, this is what's happening and this is what we have to do. And nothing was truly ever explained in the way that I knew that I was in labor and that this baby was going to come out no matter what we did. I just had this idea that like something was wrong and we needed to fix it and that everything would be fine. No one ever actually fully took the time to explain like, hey, you're in labor. This baby's coming out no matter whether you like it or not. Um, You're giving birth within the next couple hours or day. And so she looked at me. She gave me my options. She did call another hospital where they offer a resource of doing um, steroids and like putting you on bed rest and all that, but that um, option ended up not working out since I was so early. At that point in pregnancy, at 20 weeks and a couple days, me going into labor would have been considered a miscarriage. But since baby was so big and my water had already broken, it was then in that moment considered a stillbirth. And so I was no longer a candidate for the option to go to this hospital and receive this treatment. And due to there not being the correct equipment for a baby about 10 days too small. Mm. (laughs) I was just um, no longer a candidate. And I remember thinking how upset I was. I was only 10 days away from being able to have this treatment offered to me. And I just kept thinking like, if I could just get to this treatment, then I'd be fine. So I just kept telling the doctor, I was like, keep calling and keep pushing. And she did. She really, she really tried. She called so many times and it was no after no. So I ended up being admitted that same day into the hospital. Still, I was admitted and still no one had officially told me like, you're going into labor. You're having this baby no matter what. Um, They had drawn blood, they put an IV in, they started me on meds, on fluids. They came and did an ultrasound, which was the most heartbreaking moment in that entire um, admission process because no one told (laughs) this poor ultrasound lady that I was having a stillbirth. And so she came in, she goes, oh, mama, are we excited? Oh, man. And I was like, yeah. I didn't want her to feel bad and I was too kind to say anything, um, too in shock to say anything truly. Sure. And so she was just like, mom, are you so excited? And I was like, yeah. So she went and did the ultrasound and what made things a little worse for me in a sense was once she did the ultrasound, she said, baby looks healthy. Baby has a perfect heartbeat um, and baby's moving great. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm going to have this. Wow. 
I'm gonna have a perfect pregnancy. This is gonna be fine. They're gonna figure things out and we'll just move on. Ultrasound lady left. Then it was just me sitting alone in this room for a long time. And then finally, one of the nurses that took over my case came in for the evening. Afternoon, actually, sorry. It was around 3 p.m. She came in, introduced herself. She was a more seasoned nurse and she sat down with me and she goes, has anyone explained to you what's happening? And I said, no. This poor nurse was in tears herself as she was explaining it to me and she took the time to help me understand what had happened, um, what the doctor said and explained everything option-wise. She explained why I was in the ER um, or why I was admitted that day to OB, not ER, sorry. She explained that and then she explained you will have this baby within the next couple hours or next day. And unfortunately, this baby is not going to be a viable baby. Your baby will most likely be born not breathing. And at this point, Kyle hadn't made it there yet. I told him like, hey, take your time. We're, we're good. Ultrasound lady said baby is fine. You know, once you get off work at five, you'll just come meet us here. And this lady, she said, you're going to want to call your husband right now and tell him he needs to come as soon as possible and we'll we'll talk to him together. And at that point, that was the first moment in like a span of 12 hours that anyone had explained fully in depth what was happening. And I have so much appreciation for that nurse. Um, just taking that time to explain everything as a new mom who was experiencing a loss here in the next couple hours and telling me like, hey, your husband needs to be here right now. We don't know what's going to happen or when anything's going to happen. Wow. So it was, it was kind of a shock to hear all at once. And that's kind of when I came to terms like, okay, this baby is not going to go home with me. This baby is going to be born soon and not breathing. And I was trying to come to accept the fact that that was what was happening. Kyle came, we told him what was happening. And then they just said, we're just in a stage where we got to wait and see what baby decides to do. If baby decides like, you know what, I'm gonna hang out in mama's belly a little longer, then we'll go from there. But if things start progressing and you start having contractions, then we will start preparing to have a baby today. And I was like, okay. And then she said, do you understand what, what's happening? And I'm like, yes. And she goes, okay. So then it was just Kyle and I in a room, in a hospital room in the OB floor waiting. At that time, the way that our hospital was designed, it was not properly made where people that were presumably expecting a loss would be in a separate area. So right next door to me, a lady was giving birth oh, to a very, very healthy, loud baby. <laughs> And I just remember Kyle reaching for my hand and I just started sobbing and he started sobbing. And I just looked at him and I said, we're not gonna get that, are we? And he says, no, we're not. And so we're just there hearing this. I'm like, gonna cry. <laughs> and um, we're just there hearing this lady's baby cry out, um, hear sounds of joy and like, we're just hearing everything, you know, from a healthy delivery. And we're there trying to mourn our loss that was going to happen later that night. I remember Kyle going up to the nurse's uh, desk and asking like, hey, can we get switched to a different room? And they, they immediately switched us and we spent the rest of the night just kind of waiting for something to happen. We had family members come visit, come and pray for us. Our pastor came and there was still this kind of hope in the back of my mind because... They did say if baby decides to you know calm down and things tend to like go back to the way they were because at that point it was still potentially an option or it was still a possibility 
Um, so we still had this hope that maybe baby would <laughs> change its mind <laughs> sure. and that we would just have to go on bed rest and be more cautious with the pregnancy or maybe stay hospitalized until baby was okay to be delivered or have a C-section. We were still kind of hopeful in having our parents come in and Kyle and I were still kind of back and forth, like what's going to happen? Like, are we actually going to lose this baby? Like, are we going to try to just stay hopeful that everything will be okay? And I think at that moment, Kyle just really helped me come to terms like, you know what, if if baby ends up coming and we end up going home without a baby, we're going to be okay in the end. It's going to be okay. It's going to hurt for a while, but we're going to be okay. And so I think in that moment, I just kind of accepted, like, I'm just not going to go home with a baby. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like later that night around 9 or 10 p.m., contractions did start. I want to say I gave birth to Kara, which is what we named our baby, around 3 in the morning the next day. So it was about a 24-hour period from when the pain started in my back and the discharge happening to when I gave birth to our stillborn baby. Hmm. So 24 hours, we had to come to terms that our healthy pregnancy up until that point was going to turn to us not going home with a baby. My OB came in. She was on vacation, and she was so sweet. She came in from vacation at three in the morning to come see me and she sat next to me and we both cried and she held my hand and she said I promise you mama next time we are going to do everything we can to figure something out for you and we're going to get to the bottom of this and I felt really reassured in that moment because I mean I was told I was never going to be able to have children and I just you know I was pregnant and I was like on top of the world super excited and then all of a sudden I lost this baby and I was like well was this doctor right like what like what's wrong with me like what's wrong with my body why couldn't my body hold this baby in then I just started being angry with myself and like disgusted with myself like why like why wasn't I like any other um, woman that went through pregnancy that had their child um, at full term why why me is what I kept asking myself, why us after going through this idea that I was never going to have children, why all of a sudden am I losing kids? So hearing those words from the doctor at that time, right after losing our baby was very reassuring in the sense that it felt like we knew what the next step was in that world, but it didn't make it any easier to experience that loss. We did end up having, it's like a special cot um, or bassinet that stays with us in the room. It basically keeps baby cool to stop the process of um, rigor mortis. So we got to keep baby in the room next to us for as long as we wanted. We were not rushed at all. We got to spend as much time as we wanted holding baby, um, just spending time remembering those features is what I told myself. I wanted to remember the little hands. You could see her fingers. They were still like close together, um, but they were ha- they were just barely starting to split. So you could kind of like stick your finger in between her little fingers and like hold them. And <laughs> we made fun of Kyle because Kyle has... TMI, the weirdest toes ever. <laughs> and his big toes curb inward. I mean, I remember trying to like remember every part of our child that we weren't going to get take, get to take home. 
And I looked at her toes and her toes look exactly like tiles, just like all weird. (laughs) And I was like, Kyle, she has your toes. And I just, I was really happy saying that. I don't know why. It just came out very happy. And then I just looked at my husband and he was crying and he stepped out of the room. So it was just me and baby for a moment. And I think it sunk in. Our life is completely changed. It's not the same anymore. And then... I mean, just the whole process that you have to go through, you have to sign all these papers, like a death certificate. I mean, you don't think you're going to sign a death death certificate after you have a baby. We had to sign a death certificate. Um, We had to sign funeral papers. We had to sign, like, pay for a pickup for this baby to be taken to a funeral home to be... um, like for cremation for cremation yeah yeah we had to sign um papers for this funeral home to take baby and then we had to pay for baby to get cremated and that is not what you think of your first pregnancy going as a new mom as a first-time mom um and that was the hardest point of the entire thing realizing this is the end we're holding our baby girl that's not breathing and we're signing papers for her to be taken away from us and she was never going to come back I remember we were like basically done with all the process that the hospital needed us to do all the paperwork the hospital needed us to do and Kyle and I just were surrounded by our family and we were packing things up getting ready to go and I was holding baby and my family was just kind of waiting around for us to like get going and I said you know what you're gonna have to go to the car without me just like give me another couple minutes and as soon as they left the strong person that was there trying to like hold it together trying to like think hopeful thoughts was like completely gone I just broke down came to the realization that this baby was for sure not going home with us that the crib we bought was useless that the clothes we bought was never going to be worn by this baby and it just hit me really hard in that moment like I don't want to leave I don't want to leave the hospital without my child I started freaking out (laughs) and they poor Kyle had to call the nurse over they had to give me some medication to calm me down I went into like full-blown panic mode like I didn't want to leave my child I wasn't expecting my pregnancy to end this way and we went home just mourning our baby I mean what kind of conversation do you have with your family when you're when you just experience a loss we were just kind of hanging out our parents bought us dinner kind of cleaned up the apartment for us and we were just sitting there in silence like what do you say you know sorry you lost a baby like those words in that moment seem pointless Mm -hmm. and so in silence we ate and people wanted to come visit and I was just in no mood for people to come visit and my mom was mourning probably what felt like to me um more than I and then I felt kind of bad that I wasn't mourning as bad as she was since she experienced multiple miscarriages and pregnancy loss I felt like I I should have felt more sadness I wasn't crying at home I wasn't I was so numb (laughs) I was so numb to any sort of feeling by the time that we got home and I just didn't want to be around anyone. So we finally kicked everyone out. We were like, we just need some time alone to like come to terms with everything and just like fully take everything in. And so it was just Kyle and I, and we just sat on our couch, just hugging each other. And for a while, nothing came out, no tears, no words. And we sat there for what felt like hours and he fell asleep. It was dark outside. The next time I looked, it all seemed like a blur. And finally I just broke down. And then Kyle broke down. It was just the worst time in our lives. 
really is what it felt like. And then, cause you had, well, you didn't have to have, but you did have a funeral. Yes. An actual funeral yes. ceremony for Kara. Yes. Um, my husband and I decided that we wanted to have a funeral. We wanted to respect the life of our baby. We wanted to just take a moment to realize how much we love her, loved and still love, and just take that time to mourn with friends and family and realize that we had that support from friends and family. It didn't make things easier, but it did help us, in a sense, move forward with our lives and say like, okay, this happened, this chapter happened, and now we can start the healing process and realize that things will not always be stuck in that pain. And so I think that's finally when there was, we talked about earlier, that turning point. So I think that's when things finally started to come into place for us. It was also around this time when I started experiencing a lot of postpartum depression. I mean, my my milk came in mm. and I had no baby to feed. Yep. And I was just so sore. And I remember just like crying. Cows would always ask like, what can I do? What can I do? And I'm like, you can't do anything. Like I'm useless. Like I, I what, what am I going to do? Like I was so upset and so angry and just like having to tear down everything in our nursery and put things away that we were in my mind, never going to use again. Sure. Um, I was just so depressed, so angry. And that's when my postpartum depression and postpartum rage started to kick in. And it was very slow to creep in that I don't think I noticed it up front because they talk to you about these things. Like, hey, like if you have postpartum depression, like make sure you go to your doctor. But like, what is postpartum depression? You know, you don't know right. the full extent of what everything is. I mean, you know what depression is, but like, what exactly does postpartum depression mean? What exactly is postpartum rage? I mean, I didn't even know what postpartum rage was. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, so I started having these like terrible down moments that lasted days and days and days and days. I didn't want to even get out of bed to shower. I, I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to go outside. Kyle would try to like get me to do things that we used to do, watch a movie or just even get me out of bed. And I did not want to. I just in my brain felt like I wanted to just die. My baby died. I wanted to die. Like I felt like there was no point in living at that point if I my body was useless and I have this feeling that I failed my husband in giving him a child that we were expecting to have. Right. Um, and then like shortly after I started having this immense rage against myself and I had these terrible intrusive thoughts. Like finally, like when I went back to work, I would be driving and I'd like go over certain points um, where there were high hills or like there were bridges. And I'd say, if I just like did one little turn, like everything would, everything would be fine. Like I'd, I would just die. Everyone could move on and forget about it. Um, I wouldn't have to think about it again. Or like if I, if I were to burn the house down, like our apartment down, like all the memories of this baby would be gone, like terrible, harming, intrusive thoughts. And I never actually went to seek help. I thought, you know, I don't want these things to happen. And I thought in myself, like I can just control it because I know I don't want them to happen. It just sucked knowing that I was having these thoughts over and over and over and over and over again. And it slowly started to seep into my marriage. And Kyle was also dealing with his depression. I mean, he was also dealing with everything in his mourning process with our baby Kara and me having this rage 
um, affected him. And then our marriage, I mean, I, the word divorce never came up, but in my mind, I was like, oh, that would solve everything. Like we wouldn't be fighting anymore. We could move on with our lives and pretend like this baby never happened. Our marriage never happened. Um, and just like move on. There was just so much going on all at once. And I mean, and your body is still healing. You still have those pregnancy hormones and you, even though that baby's not there, I mean, like I said, my milk came in. I mean, everything is working all at once and it's all working against you is what it feels like. And your world is crashing. You have this loss and your marriage is not the same is what it feels like. And it got to the point where Kai and I looked at each other and we were like, like, what are we going to do? Like, are we just going to keep going down this road and just like never fully coming to term with things and like finding that healing or like, are we just going to, like, are we going to get divorced? And, um, I think that's when we came to realize, like, we, we obviously love each other. We wouldn't have stuck around for each other through all this if it weren't for that reason. And our intention in the first place was to have a child and we wanted that child. So we did go to marriage counseling, but I never actually fully sought medical help. And I think not only because I didn't fully understand what was going on, but the medical field up to that point in a way had failed me. (laughs) And so I just, I didn't necessarily want that help. I didn't want the help that they were offering me. And so I just never thought it would be important for me to go in, but we did do marriage counseling with our pastor and we talked through all that stuff. We decided at that point that we would be more open with each other and it really helped. That's when things finally started to look a little better once I came to terms that something was wrong still mentally, not just physically. Um, And healing finally started to happen. Not forgetting that loss because I don't think I could ever forget that loss, but some sort of healing where I can accept like this has happened and we can move forward. And there is a difference and you've said it, but we've said it quickly. Postpartum depression and postpartum Mm -hmm. rage. Yes. They're different. They are different. So postpartum depression is a lot more milder than hitting that postpartum rage. (laughs) Postpartum depression, normally like the first steps are like, let's start you on a depression medication and let's see if we can get you into counseling, see like what we can do for you. Then when you hit that postpartum rage, once you hit that like level two is what I would call it, um, you're actually supposed to be hospitalized due to the potential harm that you are to yourself and to the people around you. So technically, I should have been hospitalized. I should have been in a postpartum psych ward is what they call it. And I didn't I didn't ever receive that help. I didn't. No one ever actually truly asked me. You know, they they ask at the postpartum appointment, like, how are you feeling? Are you feeling okay? And you're like, we're not terrible, but not like, okay. But they don't like ask you like a list of questions or like anything. Like, how do I, how do I tell you like upfront without having to actually tell you, you know, you don't want to accept that you're having these thoughts because it's not you. It's not you thinking like you normally do. And so how do I accept that I, I am having these thoughts and how do I tell you and how do I get that help? When you just felt like I just lost my child and now if I tell you that I'm having problems and now I have to go to a psych yeah and like what what else is wrong with me like (laughs) yeah but in looking at postpartum depression versus postpartum rage and being a first-time mom Mm -hmm. not even knowing that these things were possible after having 
a stillbirth, not mm-hmm. knowing that like your body still has to, I mean, in a sense, your body only knows that it gave birth. Right. And to the body, that child should be fed right now. And that child is at home with you. So yeah, I mean, mentally, your body is also, or physically, naturally, your body assumes this baby is with you, but mentally, your body knows it's not with you, and it's struggling to come to terms with the two. The Mm. two are clashing within you. It's almost like this legit fight is happening. Yeah, yeah, immense war (laughs) in your brain, in your heart. It's crazy. I struggled with it for a while. We did marriage counseling, and then... You know, I mentioned how my doctor told me, like, next time these are the steps we're going to take. And so when I did go to that postpartum appointment or postnatal appointment, whatever it's called, the doctor asked me, like, all these questions and, like, previous health questions and, like, family, what their previous health was with pregnancies and, like, all these questions about my background and medical history. And then I mentioned to her, I was like, you know what, like, my doctor... My primary care physician, she said I had endometriosis, but we never actually did anything. Like, what? what is that? Like, should I have done – is that the reason why I miscarried? Or is that the reason why I had a stillbirth? And she brought up two things. So at the beginning of my pregnancy, I did have COVID, and I didn't know I was pregnant. And I really struggled with COVID. I think my husband maybe had a two-week period where he was, like, really struggling. And then I had a full month where I was just mm-hmm. really, really sick – And the doctor at that time, she was contemplating putting me into the hospital for COVID. And looking back, my OB doctor said, if we would have known you were pregnant, we would have stuck you in right away Mm -hmm. into the hospital for your COVID. Um, So she said that could have been one of the reasons why I did have this stillbirth due to incompetent cervix. It could have been COVID that affected my body. We don't know the extent of what COVID does in a pregnancy still to this point. So it could have been that. And then she did say, you know, due to my family history, it could have been just generational, like just something that is passed along. Could have been that reason. And then once I told her endometriosis, she got a little bit more like, okay, like that, that is a very big concern to have. Yeah, like that could be the reason why. So she decided to investigate that further. You know, I told her all my symptoms. Um, At that point, I had already um, stopped my postpartum bleeding. And I, I think this might have been my second postpartum appointment because I had already started my cycle again. Okay. And so she told me to keep an eye out. Like, you know, next time you have your cycle, or your period, check and see, like, are you having these symptoms still? So I went back. Of course I did. (laughs) I was still having these crazy, weird symptoms of my period coming out from where it's not supposed to. And so I told her that and she goes, okay, well, that's very concerning. (laughs) And then um, she asked me some other questions. And with endometriosis, I did have um, a lot of other symptoms that you would normally have. And she started explaining to me, like, these are the other things that come with endometriosis. Um, So we talked about back pain, debilitating back pain during a period, not being able to get out of bed due to pain, um, swelling in the legs. Like she talked about a whole bunch of symptoms. I like knocked off about everything on that list during my period. So she, she said, you know what, you do need surgery, which is the step that I should have taken with my primary care physician. She decided that I would go in for laparoscopic surgery, February of 2021. So I think just like two months after I delivered uh, my stillbirth, my stillborn baby, I went in and had laparoscopic surgery. This was 
after our month of fasting and praying, I am Christian. I do believe that God is in prayer answering God. So we did a month of prayer and fasting with our church and we decided to like devote this situation to him and just let him let God handle the the problem that was going on within my body and just hoping for an answer for healing. And so I did mention that to my doctor. I was like, hey, you know what? Like my family and I, we've been praying. My church has been praying. Mm-hmm. And I just want to let you know, like, I trust you. Like everything's going to be okay. And, I, and she looked me like straight in my face. She goes, I'm Christian too. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, well, do you believe that God can heal? And she goes, well, I mean, you hear people talking about it. And it's in the Bible. So he must be able to do that. And I was like, okay, we're on the right track. So um I mean, going into surgery, my husband and I were fully confident that God was going to heal my body because he had, he had done certain things before. I don't know if you guys listened to the first podcast that I did, but I mentioned, you know, I did find a lot of healing in God. So I came into the situation um, a lot more confident after this month of prayer and fasting. And I was like, yeah, like this is going to be, this is going to be good. We're going to find an answer here. And I was fully confident. So the doctor, she did the surgery. It was funny because she told me surgery with the with how complicated it sounded that my endometriosis could have been. She said, well, surgery might take three to four hours depending on like how much we find or how far advanced your endometriosis is. And so Kyle had this idea, you know, she's going to be gone for like three, five hours with right. everything that happens post-op. So he said, he said it was crazy because she came out after an hour and I was like, why? Like, I thought I was getting bad news. I thought like something happened to you. And so he said, the doctor came out and she goes, well, we're done with surgery. He goes, what? (laughs) He was like, what do you mean you're done with surgery? So she waited until I was out. She kind of gave Kyle a summary, but she waited until I was out for her to fully explain what happened. So um, once I kind of got my bearings after post-op and I was wearing off the anesthesia, <laughs> she came in and she showed us the pictures that they took through the laparoscopic tube. She took pictures of my womb. So now a womb without endometriosis obviously has no scars. It's mm. a healthy womb and has no scars. Endometriosis, like I said, causes this tissue buildup from a period in and outside of the womb. So she showed us the picture and we saw scarring and she goes, have you ever had surgery? I know you said no before, but have you ever had surgery? Can you tell me again if you've ever had a surgery done for endometriosis? And I looked at her and I said, no, never. (laughs) Uh, Like, I mean, just talking to you in February, that was the first time I'd ever heard about having to need a surgery for endometriosis. And so she looks at me and she goes, you're going to think I'm crazy. And I said, oh, <laughs> oh boy, what are you about to tell me? She goes, so the scarring you're seeing here, these little lines you're seeing on your womb, that is actually where tissue was. And it looks like someone went in, scooped out the tissue. And these are scars that have been healed over in your womb. And I just started crying. And I'm like, I'm start crying, crying right now. I'm like, I get chills every time I think about it. And I just... I just started, <laughs> Tasha thought I was insane because I just started saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And she goes, so we'll talk more about this. <laughs> she was like freaked out, I think. Um, she like finished explaining everything. She goes, I didn't have to do the full surgery. They only did one incision when they normally do three or more, depending how severe oh, wow. the case is. She goes, I only had to do one. I looked in there. Nothing was wrong. I even had a urologist come in because I was concerned. And he said, there was nothing wrong with her. That girl has nothing wrong with her. Um, And I was like, okay, well, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, (laughs) I guess I'm fine. 
So they sent me home. They said I would have to go back for like a post-op appointment. And I went in and she went again through everything. And she was like, I'm just shocked. Like you said, you've never had surgery. And it obviously looks like someone did surgery. And I was like, well, that's my God for you. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Jesus is like the ultimate surgeon. He healed my body. And and she was just kind of like, you know, in doctor mode, kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, girl, you're kind of crazy. <laughs> um, so she told me the next steps would be to keep an eye on this and see if it comes back. And then also just kind of like moving forward into our next pregnancy, if we were wanting to do that, she wanted to take like a preventative step in placing a cerclage, which is a cervical stitch to keep baby in. Um, And she she said that next time we would most likely have to do that just as a precaution and then just for peace of mind for me. And so we just kind of like left it there. And she said, you absolutely cannot have children or cannot get pregnant within the next couple months. I want you to wait like another three or so months. Um, And normally that's like what they ask you to wait three to six months after you have a baby, just so your wound can heal inside of your body, which is insane. If you ever look at pictures or like videos of what your wound looks like on the inside after you have a baby, it's like this immense, giant open wound in your belly. And it takes six months for it to start closing up and an entire year for it to be fully, completely healed. Like you've never had children um so she wanted us to wait a couple months and of course Kyle and I being the great planners we are (laughs) um and me being great at taking birth control um but we found out that I was pregnant literally two weeks after that surgery (laughs) um of course it wasn't planned (laughs) and um we went back and I was just like hey so sorry but I'm pregnant and she's just like laughing she goes it's okay <laughs> I was like what else was she gonna tell me like I told you to wait anyways so that's when we found out about like February 20 something of 2021 was when we found out that I was pregnant with my second child Ellie and of course you know she's a fully healthy two-year-old almost two-year-old now and they did place this cerclage at 16 weeks and I was a nervous wreck the entire pregnancy I went to the ER eight times (laughs) to get checked because I thought something was wrong I thought like this discharge is wrong like this pain is wrong like this isn't part of a normal pregnancy you know because no one explains what a normal pregnancy looks like (laughs) yeah everyone has like this assumption like this is what it should look like everyone has their own opinion they're like this is normal this is normal when it's not normal So like any tiny thing that happened in a pregnancy, I was in the ER. I was like, this is not going to happen again. And when they finally placed the cerclage, I mean, some of that worry went away because most of the time with the cerclage, you make it up to 37 weeks when they finally remove it. And then shortly after is when you give birth. And that's what happened in my case. Luckily, I have a beautiful daughter named Ellie and she's growing like crazy and making messes everywhere. And I'm pregnant again now. I'm (laughs) almost halfway through my third pregnancy and have a cerclage and everything's going great. So, and I did ask Diane if she planned the third one. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you guys guess. (laughs) No, it was not planned either. (laughs) uh, Now going through all of the pregnancies and clearly Mm -hmm. like, I mean, this starts out as a very seemingly hopeless story. Yeah. And then now like things are just in a very different place. Yeah. Not saying that you're over the loss of Kara, mm-hmm. but 
in moving forward, the healing that you've experienced, could mm-hmm. you maybe just talk a little bit just to those that maybe have experienced loss? Yeah. Like what, and some people have probably hit the place that you have and some people mm-hmm. are probably very new into loss. Yeah. But what does that healing process? Yeah. I, I mean, know. like all the stages of grief you go through <laughs> and then to come to the place that I'm at. I mean, it took a long time. There was never like a distinct point where I thought like, okay, yeah, I'm finally better. I finally moved on or like, everything's fine. I think like you always have that loss and you always remember that loss. And with Kara, I mean, it took me a long time to fully, I think it wasn't until I was pregnant with Ellie that I was like, okay, like, yeah, like I I lost Kara, but I mean, we loved her. She's still technically a part of our lives. And She's in a place where she won't ever have to experience any sort of hurt or pain or any sort of sickness. And I'll see her again someday. And I think that just comes with my faith in Jesus and knowing that there is an eternity after death with Jesus. And so that helped. But just having the support of everyone and hearing stories from other moms moms who have gone through loss um, definitely helped strengthen myself. And I don't know, like going through pregnancy with Ellie um I mean I experienced a lot of those emotions I I still had fear I still had some anger left over like why did that happen to me um and now even with my pregnancy now I still kind of like look back and I'm like sorrowful of that loss like I still think back and I'm like oh like I, I truly miss that child that I never got to take home just knowing that that's not the full story I think really helps me mentally and knowing that people were surrounding us and praying for us and my second pregnancy went seemingly okay (laughs) um I now am at a point where I can like talk about it as part of my story and like say like hey like you'll eventually be okay it takes time It takes love and support from friends and family, but that's like not the end of your story. I mean, no matter what, what route you end up taking in your life as a future mom, whether it's you have to go towards adoption or whether you have to do IVF or whether you have to take all these other steps. I mean, there is hope and there are people out there that can help you, whether you have to get a second opinion, you know, like don't, don't stop at just one doctor. One doctor doesn't have all the answers. There's I mean, MDs, DOs, holistic doctors. I mean, there's so many different routes you can take, a midwife. And everyone will tell you something different. And everyone, one might tell you that you have no other options. Like, this is it. You're just, I mean, you're stuck. Or one might tell you, like, this is what we're going to do. And luckily, in my case, I had a really great doctor who was very supportive. And I fully trust her. And I still, I'm seeing her with this baby. I saw her with Ellie. And I have full confidence in her. And I think that fully helps, too, when you have a provider that is just behind you in every step and, like, explains everything and and you've gone through things with her he you kind of come come to trust the people around you come to trust your partner come to trust your family and know that you have a support system and that in the end things work out the way they should I mean if you are in the place where you've only experienced loss I mean I can just tell you that I mean we're here for you all all us moms that have lost we're here for you and I'm very sorry that you've experienced that loss it's like the worst worst loss in someone's life, I think. Um, I've lost grandparents, I've lost aunts and uncles, and they have not compared to this loss that I've experienced. 
losing a child. I'm mourning with you and just know that there's like armfuls of women who are here to ready to support you and uplift you. And you talked about like the actual support system. Mm-hmm. So those who hadn't gone through necessarily what you went through mm-hmm. could still support you. Yeah. But what's in your opinion? <laughs> I know. What are some great ways? Yes. That others who are not walking that journey, but are unlucky, can be an effective support. Effective is a good word. (laughs) I think everyone's first instinct when someone loses someone or when they're going through some sort of sickness is, I'm going to bring you food, (laughs) you know, which is great. I mean, people need food and people need that responsibility, that burden taken off of their plate as well. It's very helpful, but I remember my mother-in-law coming to me and she was like, what do you actually need? I'm not bringing you food. What do you want? And I I looked at her. No one had ever asked me that question. What do you want? Like no one, no one ever asked me that. They were just like, okay, we're going to start like this meal train for you. I was like, okay, that's great. Thank you. (laughs) But no one physically came up to me and said, what do you need? What do you want as a support? And my mother-in-law, she came to me and she said, what can I do for you? And I said, I just need to go out. I just... I need to go for a drive. And I remember we got in the car. We didn't talk that entire drive, but her just being there, taking me out of the house in a time where I didn't want to leave the house, where I didn't want to shower, I didn't want to do anything, felt so much more helpful than that one meal that someone brought to me. It meant a lot to know that someone cared enough about me to just drive me around town, (laughs) seeing the same sights that we see all the time and just not even mention a word and just knowing that, just knowing that their presence there probably helped me more than anything else. And so I just ask, what do they truly need? I mean, we assume things. We assume that people need this and that, and we do those things for them. We go clean their house and stuff. And we go um, make the meals. We go watch their kids for a little while, which are all helpful things, and they're all very important things and part of that healing process. But ask, what do they need? No one ever asked me that until my mother-in-law came up to me, and I think that's what made that moment even more special for me, that she asked, and I got the moment to think about it, and it just helped going out. So I think that's the most important thing, just... Just asking and being available. As we kind of wrap up, you said you're you're in your third pregnancy now. Mm-hmm. Things are great. Yes. A different story. Yes. We've talked about support. We've talked about all those things. Like if you were going to really encourage somebody. Oh boy, my words of wisdom. <laughs> yes. What final words of wisdom oh, would you give? Final words of wisdom. I'd say trust your gut. Wh- whatever you're feeling, you're probably right about it. I mean, go to the doctor if you're feeling like something's wrong. Don't just assume that the person next to you that's had six babies (laughs) knows everything. Um, And then don't assume that the final answer your doctor gives you is the final answer. Seek a second opinion and then trust people enough to help you heal so that you can move forward and find this new hope. I don't think I would have been able to make it to this point if I didn't trust the people around me or if I didn't seek the support that I did. So trust your gut. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for a second opinion. And trust the people around you to give you support and ask for support. If, if no one's giving you support, ask for it. Don't be afraid to ask. It's such, it's such a hard time in your life. You shouldn't do it alone. You never need to do that alone. So, Well, Diana, thank you so, so very much for being willing to share the really yeah. hard things. Yeah. Well, everybody, thank you again for being with us. We will gather again in two weeks. God bless. Bye-bye.
Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this content, please leave a review and share. If you'd like to donate, at this time you can do so via Venmo. You can learn more in the descriptions. Say the Pain will be back with another episode in two weeks. And until then, make a difference.